1: This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ruth.
0: Real love is calling opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for with every sunrise.
2: That's the best way for a relationship to develop. You wait on the Lord, you stay pure, you stay virtuous. Nothing wrong with wanting to be physically attractive to each other or being physically attracted. I've had Christians come to me saying, you know, I feel like it's so carnal or unspiritual that I'm physically attracted to her. I'm like, what? You got to live with her the rest of your life. She's got to live with you the rest of your life. You better like what you're looking at. That is not being like unspiritual. That's just being like normal the way God has, has wired us. You should be attracted to someone. So that's not like carnal or unspiritual.
1: Pursuing a healthy Christian relationship is a very difficult thing, especially in our day where we live in a world that has made having a faith-based relationship almost despised, where people are constantly changing their minds on what is okay and what isn't. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that being attracted to someone or finding someone handsome or beautiful isn't a bad thing. Yes, we should focus on someone's personality and not obsess over looks, but all of that is a part of a relationship. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ruth, chapter 3, for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Listen, some of you single ladies are confused about men. And so you go to other single ladies to try to figure out men. Listen, how about going to a woman who has one? (laughs) Don't go to another single lady and ask them to translate men. How about finding a married woman who actually has one? And then she can translate men to you. And say, well, this, this, listen, this is how they are. This is how they work. This is kind of weird about them. And this is kind of, you know, the way they are. But, but, you know, this is Naomi expressing to her. And so Naomi's translating to Ruth. And she basically says Truth, Ruth, now when you go there, this is the first part of what I just read. He said, she says, now when you go there, be invisible. Like, like, do not make yourself known to the man, she says there in the verse, until he is finished eating and drinking. In other words, just don't walk up to Boaz and go, can you just explain to me, where are we in this relationship? You know, you never call me, you never text me, and, and I'm just kind of, I have to follow you on Instagram to even find what you're up to. Like, stop that. Like, that's called stalking. Like, I... Like, He's not going to respond with joy when you start talking like that. And by the way, most men don't want an emotional dump truck unloaded on them either. Like, just relax. And so Naomi goes, just go there, but don't even, don't even be noticed. Don't even be noticed. Just go there and wait until he is, has a full stomach and, and he's in good spirits. Then, then. Okay. Now, verse four. Seems a little strange to us, I will admit. Verse 4, Naomi continues with her advice. She says, Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Now, this is not typical advice you would think to give to your single daughter you know what i'm saying like you're really interested in a guy okay go find out where he lives stalk him at his apartment and then climb up the balcony like a ninja sneak in where he is lie down by his feet uncover the blanket nobody would give their daughter typically this kind of advice but some things in the bible are descriptive not prescriptive all right it's just not like here's here's how it should always work this is something unique here to the culture it was very common in the culture that when you would lie down at someone's feet, you were, uh, you were showing your humility and submission. Ruth is going to show here her humility in, in this act of what, of what she's doing here. And um, the third point that, that uh, Naomi makes here out of verse 4 is, is that it's okay to let a man know that you are interested and available. Now, you say, but I don't want to chase a guy. Okay, true, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be chasing after a guy, but it's okay to get in his way. <laughs> it's okay to get in front of him once in a while. You know, sometimes guy, guys are a little slow, and sometimes guys are a little intimidated, and some guy, sometimes guys lack confidence, and giving a guy a little indication that you are interested too and that you're available is is all that he needs. And so and so Naomi is saying to Ruth, "Give Boaz some incentive here to make a move." And and so this is the advice that she is is giving her. Listen, single ladies, sometimes a man doesn't pursue you not because he's not interested, but because he thinks you're not. So just a little indication will that that you're open uh, to some kind of a relationship goes a long way to help a guy who is otherwise slow or intimidated or lacks some confidence uh, to, to make a move. Now, Ruth, in, in the story here, let's go back to the text. So, so verse, verse 4, this is uh, the last of the advice that she, that she gives her here. And so in verse 5, so Ruth says, uh, and she said to her, uh, all that you say to me, uh, I will do. And so, verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, I want to emphasize here, this is not something suggestive. She's not being provocative. But there, there's a big difference between being provocative in an effort to turn heads and simply being attractive inside and out with dignity. There's, those are two very different things. This is not her attempt to seduce him. This is a, something very cultural in terms of just showing her Um, willingness and humility that if he's interested, she's wanting him to know I'm interested. And what happens if not just a man, but anybody is typically asleep and you uncover their feet? What typically happens? Their feet gets cold and they wake up. They're kind of startled by like, who uncovered my feet? Like eventually it wakes you up. And this is what happens here. She's wanting to get his attention here. And so it says in, in verse 8, and so it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? Okay, you have to remember, this is midnight, so it's dark, and he can't tell who this is, and last thing he knew, he just went to sleep, and all of a sudden he's woken up, his feet are uncovered, and there's some woman at the at the end of uh, where he's lying, And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, some translations where she says, take your maidservant under your wing, some translations uh, read, spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant. This is a statement she is making here to uh, basically invite what we would call, even still today, His spiritual covering. Like even as a garment is thrown over someone and covers them physically, she's asking for him if he's willing. She's she's not being forward here. This is still culturally. She's being gracious to him, but she's letting him know, I'm interested if you're interested. What she's asking here is for his covering. Now, that's a term that is used even today. And um, the idea behind that term is that husbands should provide some type of spiritual covering for their wives in the sense of protecting her, loving her, uh, making sure she's taken care of, uh, being willing to, to die for her if necessary. Like having a loving leadership for his wife such that there is this, in a spiritual sense, a covering. And uh, some of you ladies who might be married to an, a non-believing husband know exactly what I'm talking about because it's not there for you. That, and you long for it. I wish... I wish for a spiritual leader who would give loving leadership and and a sense of a covering and protection for me. I mean, he might be there for you, you know, physically to protect, but there's something to be said about a spiritual covering where a man will intercede for his wife. He will pray for her. He, he, you know, look, you know, when you go back to the garden and you see what happened there between uh, Adam and Eve and Satan, the serpent, you know, it, it requires men, men should be motivated to pray for their wives, to guard their hearts, and their minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, it's an important role. This isn't some kind of a domineering role when we talk about a covering. It is just a loving, leading role to protect a wife, both physically and spiritually in prayer and and every other way. So this is what she's insinuating here. She's like, whatever the translation, however it goes, throw throw your garment over me, or she says... um, uh, take your maidservant under your wing. That's, that's what she's asking. Will you be my covering? And she says there, verse 9, for you are a close relative. Now, we talked about this uh, word last time because it first appears in chapter 2, verse 20. But here it is again. The word close relative can also be translated kinsman, redeemer. The Hebrew word is goel, and it is found 23 times in Ruth. That's more times proportionally than any other book of the Bible. So it's an important term. And the goel was the nearest living blood male relative. Now, again, under the Levitical law, God provided for widows that if their husband died, that they were not to be left destitute, And particularly in this culture, you have to imagine that a woman's survival was really dependent upon a man providing for her. And so when she became a widow, I mean, she was destitute typically. And so God provided for a widow by saying that the man's nearest relative, the deceased male's nearest blood relative had an obligation to marry the widow if, if, if he was unmarried, to take her and, uh, to provide for her, protect her. And there were different obligations that the kinsman redeemer had. And I'll go into it in a moment, but let me just read a little bit further. And so she says to, to Boaz, you, you are a go out. You are a kinsman redeemer. You are a close relative. So it only makes Levitical sense. For you to marry me, if you're willing. And now we find out he actually is willing. Look at what he says in response, verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Isn't that, isn't that a great statement he makes there? He says, your reputation in my whole town is that you are a virtuous woman. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the reputation we had in our town was that people saw our virtue? And so he commends her for this. He says, everybody in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. And he says in verse 12, now it is true that I am a close relative, however... There is a relative closer than I stay this night and in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Now, again, they're both virtuous people. There's nothing sexual going on here. He just says, lie down. It's the middle of the night. It's midnight, we found out. So he's not going to send her out in the dark. He hears her heart, and he responds in like kind. He basically lets her know, I'm interested too. But he says, the fact of the matter is, I'm not the closest relative. Now, in the Levitical law, here was the order. If a woman's husband died, the next blood relative, male, who would marry her would be the deceased man's brother. If he was not willing or dead, it was the deceased man's uncle. If he was not willing or dead, it was the uncle's son, meaning the cousin of the deceased man. And if he was not willing or deceased, then it was any other close blood relative. So we don't know where Boaz fits in that list. We do know from the next chapter that Ruth's husband of the two brothers was Malon. And so Boaz is related to Malon. But he's not the closest relative. So he's obviously not the brother because the only other brother, Kilion, died. And it means that he's not the next relative in the list would be an uncle. So he's not the uncle because he says, I'm not the closest relative. So he could be the uncle's son. He could be a cousin or he could be someone after that down the line. But, he, but listen, look what it indicates. He goes, I, I've, I've already done the calculation. I already know where I am down the list. So he he's just as interested in her, but, you know, they're not forward people here. They're not, you know, they're not aggressively trying to, you know, pursue each other. They're just kind of waiting on the Lord, and that's the best way for a relationship to develop. You wait on the Lord, you stay pure, you stay virtuous. Nothing wrong with wanting to be physically attractive to each other or being physically attracted. I've had Christians come to me saying, you know, I feel like it's so carnal or unspiritual that I'm physically attracted to her. I'm like, what? You got to live with her the rest of your life. She's got to live with you the rest of your life. You better like what you're looking at. That is not being like unspiritual. That's just being like normal the way God has, has wired us. You should be attracted to someone. So that's not like carnal or unspiritual. But what they're attracted to here about each other is, is not just a physical attraction. There's virtue that they see in each other. There's a relationship with the Lord that is... Dev- and and Ruth, Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite. Like This is all new to her. Naomi, as her Jewish mother-in-law, has been obviously helping her to understand... Jewish law, a relationship with God. Ruth has already expressed her desire to not only be with Naomi, but to worship the God that Naomi worships. So she's become a proselyte to Judaism here, but she's new to all this. And and Boaz has already calculated this. He goes, yeah, I'm interested too, but I'm not the closest relative. And he says, but I tell you what, he says, um, you know, I've noticed you haven't gone after all the other young rich men. Like you've, you've been waiting and he's taken note of that. And he says, if this closest relative does not want to marry you, I will. I will. But we gotta go through the right channels first. We gotta see if he's interested. So he says, You just lie back down and we'll we'll take care of this tomorrow. Now, I wanna share with you the obligations of the kinsman redeemer. There are four as the the bible prescribed it and here they are the first one was the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow israelite out of slavery so if you were the nearest relative to someone Who And this is how they would often become slaves. You owed a debt that was um, so great you couldn't pay it back, you actually uh, became an indentured servant to someone. uh, And that was the way you tried to repay the debt. If your closest relative, however, could pay off your debt in order to secure your freedom, then that was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. So that was one. Number two, a kinsman redeemer also was responsible to be the avenger of blood, is what it says in the Bible, that phrase, to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime. That's Numbers 35, 19. So here's the case. If someone uh, was murdered, the nearest relative of that murdered individual was to take up your cause for justice. That was the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer had that responsibility to make sure that the, the family member who was murdered is, uh, is gonna get justice because you're gonna pursue, you're gonna be the avenger of blood. You're gonna pursue the one who murdered your loved one. So that was also a role of the kinsman redeemer. Number three. The kinsman redeemer was also responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. That's Leviticus twenty-five, twenty-five, And kind of in a similar way, when people got themselves in debt, they would sometimes sell themselves into slavery. Likewise, when people got themselves into debt, they would have to forfeit land. Well, the kinsman redeemer in a family, if he had the means, whoever the nearest relative was, was to do the kind thing for their family member and buy back that land in order to secure it back in the family. Now, this is all, I'll summarize this in a moment, but that's an important point because this all has to do with family and, and keeping family in a place where they are being protected and helped and provided for. And then number four, and this is the one that really applies to this story, number four, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. That's Deuteronomy 25. And so that's that's the case here. This is why Ruth is appealing to him. If you're interested, I'm interested. You are a close relative because I am interested, but I'm not the closest. So we got to figure that out first before we can we can get married potentially. So to summarize it, here it is. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to safeguard the persons, the property, and the posterity of the family. The persons, the property, and the posterity of the family. That's what his role was. And in this particular case, he's related to Melon in, in some way by blood, and so he senses this obligation but you can see here in his response it's more than an obligation he actually has a heart for her he's been watching her she's been gleaning in his fields and he's taken an interest in her and so she has with him and so he he says to her just lie here we got to go investigate this see if the other closest relative wants to marry you if he doesn't i will and so it says in verse 11 and so or verse 14 rather and so she laid his feet until morning And she arose before one could recognize another. In other words, it was really early in the morning. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Because he he doesn't want uh, this, it looks bad. Like, oh, they just spent the night together. He's like, no, you know, so she leaves early in the morning. He doesn't want her to get some kind of uh, bad reputation uh, about something that didn't happen. And so verse 15, also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. So he, you know, he's again, he's taking care of her. He's providing for her. He knows that Naomi is also in a similar situation. And so he, he just, you know, take off your shawl. It becomes like, you know, a, a, a garment to carry all these sheaves. And so he puts all this barley in this garment, the shawl, and she hauls it back home. And verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Naomi, again, she's her daughter-in-law, but it's affectionate. Is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. This is what happened. She gives her the whole lowdown. She, you know, they spend, you know, wee hours talking about this with a cup of coffee. And so verse 17, and she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, well, this is smart, right? He's already, he's already getting in with the mother-in-law, because he already knows. like, I'm going to send a gift with you so that she'll like me. I'm sure that he's mo- motivated by more pure things than that. But, uh, but uh, you know, a gift never hurts. A gift never hurts. Verse 18 And then she said, Sir, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So Naomi just encourages her, like, all right, look, he's going to have to investigate who the nearest relative is. You just, you know, be patient. You know, don't worry about it. God's going to sort all this out. He's going to take care of it because Naomi knows that Boaz is a man of character too. He's a man of virtue. And if he said this, he's going to do it. So he's just... You know, you can imagine, like anybody would be in this situation, Ruth is probably like, you know, do you think he's going to follow through? Do you really think that he likes me? Do you really think he wants to marry me? And was this just a line that he gave me? Like, well, I'm not your closest relative, but we'll figure it out later, you know? And then Naomi's like, no, 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 it's not a line. It's all good. This is a man of virtue. I think he really loves you, and God's going to sort all this out. So, the rest of the story in chapter 4. We'll park it there. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this uh, story because, um, Lord, as we, as we conclude it soon, we, we see your mighty hand working in this love story, more than a love story between a man and a woman. This is a love story between you and us. It's a picture of your redeeming love and how, Lord, all of us fall at your feet in humility. Oh.
1: Life. We're so glad you chose to spend a part of your day with us. We pray you've been blessed by what you've heard and are motivated to share Jesus with others. We all need the love that He has to offer. In Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse teaching, we hear how Ruth stuck like glue to Naomi's side. She sacrificially gave up everything to love and care for her mother-in-law. Does this ring a bell? It's exactly what God has done and is doing for us. He gave up His Son Jesus on the cross so that we might experience love abounding. What a gift. If you believe that to be true and are ready to take the next step of faith, would you contact us? We'd love to have a conversation with you. Our email is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Just in case you missed that, it's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We look forward to connecting with you. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear others, hop on over to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find an archive of Pastor Gary's messages. If you're on the go more than not, don't forget to download our mobile app before leaving that page. Again, it's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thank you again for listening to another broadcast of Cornerstone Connection.
2: That you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know you're not alone.